Just got dark in here. <laughs> the sun went away as soon as I pressed record. <laughs> oh, you're glowing. The sun's back. Now it's back. I'm an angel. Well, not really. Welcome back, everyone. Hello, it's Talk Murdy to me. We're your favorite true crime slash comedy slash cousin hosted podcast. Comedy? I don't know. When you actually register your podcast with the apps, you have to put your section. Genre. Your genre. Thank you. And I think I picked true crime, comedy, and I think one of them was like events or news or something. Because I was like, I don't really know what else to pick. Pop culture. (laughs) I talk about the Kardashians all the time. You're right. I should really look at changing that. First of all, I guess we shouldn't skip over it. Last week was our 50th episode. Yes, it was. We had a lot of fun. We talked about it over and over in the beginning. We did. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. You guys have sent us some memories of things that you've enjoyed over these first 50 episodes, and we had a good laugh about them. And we are excited because we're actually going to try to put up something kind of special for you guys. But we're going to talk more about that at the end of today's episode. Yep. Right now, we are going to address something quickly because we want you guys to know about it so you can vote. It's the elephant in the room. <laughs> It's our one-year anniversary. It's coming up quick. We're two weeks away. Yeah. Now, I know some of you guys are like, but one year is 52 weeks, and today's episode 51. How is it two more weeks, Melissa? And to that I say, we did an extra bonus episode for Halloween. Therefore, episode 53 will actually be our one-year anniversary. None of them cared about that, Melissa. There could be other Virgos out there, though, that noticed and wanted an answer. Okay. Go ahead, tell them what they're voting for. Oh, that's right. So, (laughs) (laughs) the year anniversary. Yes. We have come up with three options for what we would like to do to celebrate this occasion. You heard it right, people. Three. So, what we're going to do is over the next seven days from when this episode publishes, we are going to put up an Instagram poll every day. There will be three options you can choose from. That will be our 53rd episode style, and here they are. Number one, completely unedited. (laughs) You're going to hear my stomach growl. (laughs) Planes flying over. Mm -hmm. Us yelling at each other more than normal. Yeah, the me telling Sarah if I think she's saying something wrong. Sarah not being into it at first until I have to prove it via a third unfiltered party. Mm Mm-hmm. But unedited basically means we press record, we do the whole episode, and when we hit end, that's what gets uploaded. Nothing Mm -hmm. edited, nothing fixed. So that's option one. We're saying sorry in advance (laughs) if you pick that one. (laughs) If you do that. (laughs) Option number two is going to be the switcheroo. Ooh, the switcheroo (laughs) is going to be we do our own research, and then right when we sit down, we switch our papers, and each of us... Reads the other person's story, kind of. So we won't know what story we're actually telling as we read it. We'll Mm -hmm. be finding out along with you guys. Exactly. (laughs) Switcheroo. And option three is going to be murdy stories that also have a paranormal twist. So they turn into either a haunting or maybe there was aliens and that's who committed the murder. We don't know. We just think it'd be kind of fun to offer that up as a, a possible. Yeah. So like we said... Those three choices, you're going to be able to vote on them every single day for seven days. You can vote once per day or once from every one of your accounts. If y'all have burner accounts or something and you feel really strongly about it, go vote for your pick. They're called Finstas. Finstas, which I hope you're following us from your Finstas as well. Yeah. But it's going to be on our main page, the at Talk to Me Instagram page. If you're listening to this right now, open up your Instagram and go vote real quick. Thanks so much. And it will tell you... That there's a right answer, but just know that's not the answer. We just want to see which answer gets the most daily. Yeah. So it'll be a seven-day tab. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? Nope. Just your stomach. (laughs) That's what you guys are in for, by the way. (laughs) A lot of that. Also, a lot of me coughing the second Sarah starts to tell a story. It's the rudest thing that's ever happened. Or a plane flying over immediately. Absolutely. So the last thing I have to discuss before we get into today's stories is actually a joke. Ugh. Our good friend of the podcast, Emily, sent over. I only am okay with it because it's Emily. (laughs) (laughs) I picked this one out of the few that she sent because it's about a teacher. I thought you'd like it. Yeah, but is it nice or mean? It's nice. Are you sure? Do it nice. 
Are you ready? Maybe. What do you call a teacher that won't fart in class? A farter. I don't know. <laughs> it's actually the opposite of what I asked. <laughs> a private tutor. That's actually a little private bit funny. Tutor. <laughs> That's stupid. That's what did you just say? <laughs> Stupid. Say it out loud. I'm not saying private tutor. <laughs> Melissa thinks anything that has to do with farts is funny. Because it's so funny. It's tutor. not. Just let people have their time. <laughs> Without having to talk about it. Oh, okay. Thanks, Em. Emily, I'm upset by you that you thought that was so funny. Did you see the other one that she sent us about what do you call a hen? That's looking at a pile of lettuce. Where are you getting these? Emily sent them to us. On what? On the TikTok. I, you're on there so much, I can never get on. It kicks me off she, when you're on there. She sent us these. this first joke. This one I will tell you right now. To the TikTok. And I was laughing. I said, you need to send these to me directly so I can tell them to Sarah and watch her get annoyed on the podcast. So now she sends them sometimes to my Talk Marty with Melissa Instagram. Mm. This one was, what do you call a chicken? Fuck. No. <laughs> What do you call a hen staring at a pile of lettuce? I don't know. <laughs> a chicken sees a salad. <laughs> <laughs> that one's funny. <laughs> chicken sees a salad. <laughs> so that's our jokes for today. Now it's time for me to make a comeback. You didn't even throw anything last week. Which means no matter what, even if I lose today, if I throw something, it's still a comeback. That's true, but you're going to lose. You've I'm made a, getting focused. You've been making a lot of weird facial expressions. I don't love them. Ready? Mm-hmm. Rock, rock, paper, scissors. scissors. Rock. Ooh. No, you did we just both did rock, <laughs> Melissa. In my mind, I was going to throw paper. You That's both what... did rock. You <laughs> stared at it, and then you go, boom, like flat-handed, like you just won. Okay, so sorry. I automatically win. No. <laughs> You're the dumbest person known to man. I'm sorry. Okay, ready? Rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay, that time you actually won. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. You need help. I'm too pumped up. No. Can I sip of your drink? <sighs> Sarah has recently learned the beauty of Jorito's Mexican sodas. Jamaica. <laughs> she just says any word she can think of that starts with J. Earlier, what did you call it? A jicama? <laughs> yeah. uh, but for anybody who hasn't had them, please go and try them. The lime flavor, peak. Let's hear it. Okay, so today... We're going to go back to October 19th, 1983. We're going to St. Charles, Missouri. Missouri? Wait, I think I'm in Missouri today. What? I am. Oh my gosh. It's a party. I didn't even realize that. Well, yeah, we're going back to Missouri. It's a nice fall evening when police get a call that a car has gone off the road. Not great. My next sentence is, the car had gone off a road. <laughs> I can't for doing shit late at night. The car had gone off of a road and down a ravine. I don't think it's a ravine. It's a ravine. Oh. You have to leave this in here now. You have to. Is there a difference? Yours is not a real word. A ravine? <laughs> it's a ravine. Huh. Interesting. I never would have known that. I know something about <laughs> words and pronunciation. Good work. What if somebody's like, actually, either or works. <laughs> I will kill them. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. Okay, so she goes off the ravine. When sheriff's deputies arrive on the scene, that's just regular scene, not sain. <laughs> they can see the car's engine is still running. And there's actually a small fire on the driver's side of the car. On the inside? Anymore. Yeah. On the floor? I don't know. On the seat? I actually don't know. I don't know why I said yeah. But it just sat on the driver's side. One deputy, his name is Ed Copeland, is able to go down the embankment of the ravine and get to the car through a door that's open. And when he gets into the car, he can actually hear some sort of like gurgling sound. And he finds a woman all stuffed up under the dashboard of the car on her back. That doesn't make sense. I know, right? That was his words that he used. So I wanted to use it as well. But does that seem weird? All stuffed up under the dashboard? Stop saying it. Okay. Wait, the dashboard? Like, is the, like, window here. 
Like, no, or like under window dashboard. She's under oh, the dashboard, no. like That's where your not... feet would be. That's not real. I don't know. He can see there's like the windshield is broken. There's glass on the seat of the car. His first move is to try and open up her airway to help her breathe because he can hear her struggling mm-hmm. to breathe. And when he does that, he actually can see that there's a severe injury to the back of her head. The officer at this point can tell that she's wearing a wig because it had kind of started to like come up off the back of her head and come forward in the accident. So when he goes to feel the back of her head, the word that he used is he says it felt mushy. He's able to end up getting her free from underneath the dashboard and get her passed through the door to the paramedics outside the car. So he saves her from this accident. He moved her. Yeah. Which I'm like, it must have been an emergency where you don't have time to do like a sea collar and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Also, it was 1983. I don't know when they invented sea collars. I was about to say that too, but I didn't want to sound stupid. As the EMTs rush her to the hospital, because again, she is still alive. A firefighter actually finds the woman's purse in the car, and she's identified as 43-year-old Sharon Williams. Patrol officers get dispatched to her home, and they tell her husband that his wife has been in an accident. Then they rush him to the hospital to be with her, and the doctors and staff do everything they can for her. They work all night long, but unfortunately, her injuries are too severe. And the next morning, her husband, Jim, decides to withdraw her life support, and she passes away. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, very sad. That was only your first page. I know. The next step for police is a super common one. They begin their accident reconstruction of the crash that killed Sharon. For anybody who's never heard of that, accident reconstructions are when specifically trained officers take the facts of the accident that they do know, like where the car ended up, damage that's been done to the car and the surroundings. And then they use scientific formulas and equations to figure out the unknown things of the crash, like the rate of speed, the location of the impact, and even the time that the crash happened. Well, it's like fire marshals or like arson investigators. That's Mm -hmm. like what they do. They like reset things on fire to see the flame pattern and they... mm, the, yeah, the temperature of which things burn or how, Yeah, no, how, like the igniting thing, like what would have ignited it? Yeah. Is that the right thing? Sure. Oh my goodness. That would be a cool job if you were actually a firebug but didn't want anyone to know, but get paid to start fires in its place. Cool. This is why people think you have problems. The reconstruction finds that Sharon's car went off the road, traveled down the ravine, and then collided with a tree, and that impact is what through Sharon underneath the dashboard of the car. No seatbelt. I'm, I'm guessing not. Yeah. Now, remember the first officer on the scene who helped get her out of the car? Edward. His name was Ed. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, phew. Well, he says that he thinks the reconstruction got it all wrong. And based on what he saw at the actual scene of the accident, he says there was only a little ding on the front of the car. And that doesn't really jive with the idea of her car ramming a tree so hard that she gets thrown. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I don't think so. She's going forward, but her injuries at the back of her head. Yeah. He doesn't like it. But the accident reconstruction is what the sheriff's department decides to go with because that's the experts. And her case is closed as an accident and Sharon is buried in her local cemetery. Something tells me this is not the end of the story. (laughs) Now we're going to jump three years into the future when a relatively new chief medical examiner in the state identified what was supposed to be a car accident death, but she ended up being able to prove that that man had actually been killed with a shotgun blast to the head, but everyone else thought, oh, he just had a car accident. Oh my God. And when she finds that he's been shot in the head, it exposes a serial killer Hmm. named Michael Wayne Jackson, who had been on a cross-country killing spree- And within a week of her telling everybody, nope, he died from this, they ended up going on a manhunt for this guy, Mm -hmm. and they ended up finding him. He had killed himself in a barn. But nobody even knew this guy was active until she proved that, nope, this guy didn't die from a car accident. Mm -hmm. It was this. So it's like hot on the presses, medical examiner, you know, alert city of this. It's crazy, crazy town. And so as that's all going on, a detective from St. Charles calls this new ME and he's like, hey, would you mind taking a look at this case we've had for a few years that people don't feel great about? 
it's a car accident death, but some people think there was something else going on. So he asked her to look at it with fresh eyes, and she agrees. Dr. Mary Case agrees to look at the files, and what's special about her is that Dr. Case is one of only about 15 people in the entire country who are trained in both neuropathology and forensic pathology. So she's like a super medical examiner. I don't know what neuropathology is. I'm not going to be able to tell you. Oh, okay, cool. Because neither am I. (laughs) I literally thought that in my head. I was like, I hope she doesn't ask me the specifics because I am neither of those things. You should have winked at me like, don't ask. Don't ever wink at me. (laughs) Um, Anyways, Dr. Case takes a look at the files and immediately she notices something that's perplexing to her. She can see that Sharon Williams never had an autopsy performed after her death. Mm. The timeline was that after Sharon was transferred to the hospital, she survived for 11 hours before she was taken off of life support. And then she was buried pretty much immediately and that there had been no proper forensic investigation into her death. The CT and x-rays from the hospital records showed that Sharon did have a skull fracture to the back of her head as well as a small abrasion on the left side of her forehead, and then a small cut on the right side of her forehead. But that was it. No other major injuries or anything she can see that would have come from the car accident. Mm -hmm. She knows immediately that she wants to exhume the body. She writes a letter to the state's attorney explaining her findings, and she asks him to present that information to a judge so she can get a court order to exhume Sharon's body. And she just never hears back. They say no? No, she just never heard back at all. So after like five months go by, she finally is able to get the state's attorney on the phone and he flat out tells her, no, I'm not going to request that. Sketchy, right? Right. So Dr. Case is like, okay, bye, bitch. I'm going to go take care of this on my own. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's wearing like a brightly colored suit. So I'm thinking magenta. I have a picture of her, and she is wearing a jewel-toned suit. <gasps> emerald. It's very close to that. Yeah, it's like between Emerald and Kelly. I knew it. Mm-hmm. Nice work. She decides that she needs to help Sharon. And if that means doing an illegal exhumation, then that's just what's going to have to happen. She can go dig her up herself? Not herself, like with a shovel, but oh. I will tell you. The next person Dr. Case goes to is Sharon Williams' mother, who's still alive. And she tells her mom that she believes that Sharon did not die from a car accident and that she was actually murdered. And then it was staged to be an accident. And Sharon's mom doesn't hesitate. And she says that she's always felt uneasy about what she was told about her daughter's death. Mm -hmm. And she gives Dr. Case her blessing to exhume Sharon's body. Now, I use the word blessing because legally, even her mom didn't have the legal grounds to give Dr. Case permission to exhume Sharon. But Dr. Case wanted to make sure that it would be like, okay, with her family before Mm -hmm. moving forward with it. Which I had like never really thought about that of like, who would give you permission to move a body? I guess once you bury it in a cemetery, I guess that's probably technically private property or city grounds. I would think it's private property if it's like owned by a church. So Dr. Case has Sharon's body exhumed and brought to her lab where she performs an autopsy in the presence of like two or three detectives. But how does she do it? Who goes with her? Are you going to tell us what were they wearing? Were they wearing all black sweatsuits with (laughs) things on their heads? What did they use to exhume her body? Let me tell you. They have a real company do it. They go by the books for that stuff. The reason that she has the detectives there is so that they can photograph and video the evidence and see everything that's done. Because... Since it's technically not court-ordered or Mm -hmm. part of this investigation, anything she finds would not be admissible in court. So she knows that she wants to get the body here, do the autopsy, see what she needs to see, have everybody else see it as well, then put the body back, everything where it needs to go, put it back in the ground so that with what she knows then, she can get a new court order to have her re-exhumed, brought back, done all again by the book so everything can count for court. It's just a mess. Mm -hmm. But that's what she decides to do, so that's what they do. Sharon's body was very well preserved, which was great for Dr. Case. And what she sees and notices again is that on Sharon's entire body, the only injuries of note are to her face and skull. Nothing else shows any evidence of her being in a car accident at all. And even if she hadn't died from any other, like, small injuries... 
The force that would have created the skull fracture should have also at least left bruising on other parts of her body, like from the seatbelt or other parts, you know, just it doesn't make sense that it's only the back of her head, really, and the Mm -hmm. front of her face that have any mark. And the placement of where they found her. Yeah. You know, it's just interesting. So as far as that skull fracture goes on the back of Sharon's head, Dr. Case does find two vertical lacerations in the middle of the back of her skull. And she finds that those are not consistent at all with a frontal impact car accident. So it appears as if something long and heavy struck her vertically twice in the back of the head Mm -hmm. to cause that injury. And at this point, Dr. Case feels comfortable telling detectives that she believes Sharon was actually a homicide victim, and they agree to reopen her case. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Now, the first stop for any homicide investigation, they go find Sharon's husband. Mr. Jim Williams is a well-known guy in their community. He was a successful electrician. He did a lot of pro bono work for community members in the town. He coached a girls' softball team. And he even was known to help bake cookies for dorm room care packages for college students. That's cute. Yeah, I never knew that was a thing. But I was like, I want to get involved with that. I saw something and I think it was on TikTok or Instagram. And it was about this couple who during the pandemic, they lived in a college town and they loved cooking. Mm -hmm. And then they realized that there was like all these boys on their street who were like renting homes or whatever. Yeah. And they had like one kid that they had met outside walking or, you know, something. And he would come and they ended up buying like to go food stuff. And her and her husband would create like these large meals, like once or twice a week. And all these kids from their neighborhood, Uh which were not kids, they were college kids because they couldn't go home or because they were still hoping to finish college. So that's kind of cute. I didn't realize when I went to college the whole aspect of feeling homesick and things like that. Cause I was really lucky. I stayed in my home state and I was mm-hmm. only two hours away. So I could see my family whenever I wanted. But one year it was a freshman's birthday and I baked her a birthday cake and we took it to her dorm room. Mm-hmm. I think I was probably a junior. And when we found her, she was actually crying because she was Aww. sad to be away from her family on her birthday. Yeah. I just remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, like I can't imagine what that would be like. Mm-hmm. So especially during a pandemic, that would be intense. Are you crying? No. Oh, your eyes got a little bit watery, but I think it's just my contacts. <laughs> Here we go again. I shouldn't have worn them today, but I knew I was going to need Why my sunglasses. Why don't you just throw them away? I knew I was going to need my sunglasses. This isn't... Don't you have I, your prescription sunglasses? I lost them. I don't want to fight with you today. Not on a Sunday. I lost Not them. Not on a Sunday. I need to order more okay. from Zenny Optical. Oh, yeah. Please sponsor us. <laughs> For the love of God, give us a discount code. I order so many glasses. You really do. Okay, are you ready to go back to Missouri? Missouri. 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 Pennies. <laughs> That's where. <laughs> okay. So, again, Mr. Jim Williams. Great guy. Everyone loves him. Mm-hmm. When they finally find Jim, they find out that he's actually remarried now. And he's remarried to a woman named Joanne. Which, that's not crazy. I mean, it's been been almost three three and a half years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Like people move on and that's okay. Were they younger? Did you tell me how old she was? Yeah. Sharon was 43. Okay. When she passed away. So Mm -hmm. I would imagine he's mid forties as well. Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't you know it though, his new wife, Joanne, it's her second marriage as well. And oddly enough, just two months after Sharon died in her car accident, Mm-mm. Joanne's husband Walter went out to get a car part and just plumb disappeared. Walt. Never to be seen again. No. Cray, right? No. The detectives are like, huh, look at that. Look how that worked out for you two. You two? Yeah. Now, detectives are this. you're me today watch me have like a flawless oh my god performance (laughs) performance (laughs) so detectives they're not dumb they're on to jim oh okay jimmy hey jim joanne's husband walter was actually somewhat of a budding pop star no swear he was the lead singer of the band called bob cuban and the inmen And the band was actually at the height of their popularity when Walter disappeared. Oh, I know them. So. Do you really? No. Oh, I had never heard of them. Did you look them up? I did look them up. Their big hit was a song called Cheater or Mm. 
he's a cheater or something <laughs> like that. And I did listen to it and I was like, okay, this could be kind of a bop for back then. And Walter was actually the lead singer of that band. Mm-hmm. So like I said, the night that he disappeared, he had gone out to get a car battery or something like that. And he just never came home. Joanne had tried to file a police report at 2 a.m. that same kind of night the next morning. Mm -hmm. But she was told it's too soon. They said in Missouri, got to be 24 hours. He's an adult. Right. And not just that he's an adult, but he's also a musician. You know what I mean? Like the people who knew Walter thought it was weird that Joanne would try and report him missing so soon at all. Because it was not uncommon for him to actually go out for something and then get caught up with other friends or other musicians and stay out all night. Like, playing music, going to bars, doing things. So everybody was already like, that's weird she tried so soon after he just didn't come back. Yeah, that is odd. Yeah. And then I guess in the first day or two he was missing, Joanne actually asked some of Walter's friends to check the airport out to see if they could find his car. And what do you know? They find his abandoned car there. So she's just laying the groundwork. But as Deputy Copeland said, there are no coincidences in law enforcement. They just don't believe in it. Oh, is that what he said? Mm-hmm. Or did you make that up? No, that's what he said. Oh. That's why I said that. Well. That's why I said he said that's what he said. But sometimes you lie. I get excited. <laughs> so at this point, when they're investigating Walter's disappearance, they're like, okay, one option is he voluntarily left town. Like he did. He drove himself to the airport. He's under some assumed identity and he's just out doing whatever he wants and didn't tell anybody. But his mom, who is still alive, actually, it was really sweet. She said Wally would never, ever, ever have went off without telling me that he was leaving. So she's like, absolutely not. That is not an option to even entertain. Yeah. The other possibility is that Walter was potentially a victim of a jealous husband because it was also pretty well known that he would sleep with women who were married or already in relationships with other men as well. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like, there is a possibility somebody got pissed at Walter, took care of it on their own terms. Yeah. Now, though, three and a half years after his disappearance, detectives really lean towards it being linked to the stage death of Sharon Williams as well. And it even comes out that Jim Williams was at Joanne and Walter's house the morning that Joanne tried to file a missing persons report on Walter. Suspicious. And in fact, all of the neighbors near Joanne's house were very aware of the affair going on between Joanne and Jim. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Somehow this didn't really come up, though, when he disappeared. Like, it didn't make enough noise for police to know or do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But at this point, everyone's like, yeah, that was not a secret in the slightest. Mm -hmm. He was here. He never made any attempt to, like, hide it. Well, and now it's, like, two of spouses. One's missing. Yeah. And one has been what is now decided murdered. Right. And so maybe like the other one, because Walter cheated on her, maybe it was kind of just like, okay, that's what they do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe. But it comes out in the investigation as well that the morning after Walter disappeared, his parents went to his house. And when they walk in, they find Jim Williams in the kitchen. <gasps> and he's looking at all of Walter's jewelry out on the counter. What? Like, can you believe? What kind of jewelry? Well, I actually saw a couple, like, photos of him. Because remember, Mm -hmm. he's a musician. Yeah. So he wore, like, gold bracelets. He had some of those older rings. You know how Papa had a big ring that Mm -hmm. he wore on his hand? Like, it looks like he had a family ring, necklaces, like, just kind of part of the deal. Hoops. (laughs) Yeah. Dangly hoops. Yeah. Some feathers. Chandeliers. No, chandeliers. Chandelier (laughs) earrings. Yeah. The whole shebang. Mm -hmm. A couple nose studs, maybe a few toe rings. Choker it up, too. (laughs) Multiple chokers. And arm chokers to go with it. (gasps) Bangles. No. What is that thing Cleopatra had with the snake around her arm? A bangle. Not on the all the way up here. Bangles jingle jingle jingle. The one's arm cuff. Arm cuff. Yeah. That has a snake with emerald eyes. (laughs) And its tongue is covered in rubies. (laughs) Okay. So you've seen Cleopatra's jewelry stash. Okay. No, that's what I would imagine. Ah. But you want one. Definitely. Put me down. Mm -hmm. Probably for two. Also, what was odd is that when he first disappeared, like very quickly, she just started calling all of his upcoming gigs and canceling them. So and saying knew. he's not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it's like, okay, I-, I would understand if maybe you were his tour manager 
or if you were the band that was expected to be somewhere. But why are you taking the time to call everyone and be like, oh, he's for sure not going to be there? Yeah. What if he was out on a bender and he came back? Mm-hmm. It's all just so sus. Now, investigators are like, all right, we think Jim and Joanne for sure killed Walter. Like, we think they killed Sharon as well. But, like, where would they have put Walter's body? Because Sharon's body was found in her car accident. Mm-hmm. But Walter just straight up vanished. Where would he be? And the first and obvious thought that they have is the Missouri River, which is right on the border of St. Charles. But they look back in the weather records, and it turns out that when Walter disappeared, it was too cold and that the river would have actually been frozen. I can't believe rivers freeze. I know. Like, I know I don't believe pretty much anything, but (laughs) I don't understand how that much water. What about the fish? Well, it's not like it freezes, I think, all the way solid. I I just think the top of it freezes, and then the fish live below for the winter. They are cold-blooded, but it's like, what? I know. The lake that I went to this summer in Michigan Mm -hmm. to visit with my friend who has a cottage on the lake... Last winter, she sent me a video of her and her dad out walking in the middle of the lake. And I asked her, I said, oh, my God, are you wearing a life vest underneath your jacket? And Mm -hmm. she goes, no, like, it's so thick. What are you talking about? And I was just like, you would not catch me. I don't care if my mom tells me, oh, it's frozen solid. You're fine. Oh, no. My ass is going to have a life vest on if I'm ever out on top of water. I wouldn't do it because do you want to know what I would want to do out there? Jump. (laughs) That's what I would want. Or I would fall. And that fall, my big butt, big butt, (laughs) falling, crack it open. You're going down. It's too scary. We're not prepared for that. Because I slip just normal. (laughs) There's a lake in, I know that happens in Canada and also another one in Russia, where gas bubbles get trapped from the bottom coming up to the top and they actually freeze solid. So you can go look at these lakes that look like they're like perfectly blue and you can just see these bubbles trapped in them. Now, I'd like to see those. I don't think that's real either, Melissa. <laughs> okay. Lake is frozen. The river. Which a river's see, moving that's water. what I'm confused about. Yeah. Lake, okay, maybe. Yeah. River, streams? Mm-hmm. No. I guess it's real cold out in the Midwest in the deep winter. Because it was like Christmas time. Well, that's just rude to disappear with somebody near Christmas. I know. Agreed. <sighs> Doesn't even get to see the lights. Or the caroling? Dude, the hot chocolate while caroling. Or the roll-up cookies that my mom makes. Oh, yeah, those are good. I'm not telling any more people about them because then I get none. (laughs) We eat them all now. It's so terrible. (laughs) Just have her make you your own batch on like Thanksgiving or something. You don't know how difficult they are to make, Melissa. (laughs) Okay. You've never been there. I'm, I'm not there when that happens. And she... Has control issues. Like, I have control issues. So she doesn't let me make them. How am I supposed to learn, Mom? <laughs> okay, so they know it's not the river. But then they're like, okay, let's ask people who would have known Jim. So they need to find somebody who knew him well enough to maybe have an idea of how his mind would have been working. But also it has to be someone who doesn't like him. Because everyone else isn't going to believe that he could be potentially guilty of that. They're not going to want to snitch on him. Somebody who probably calls him Jimbo. Potentially. Because Jimbo's a dumb name. (laughs) So you give it to him because you don't particularly like him, but you also give it to him because you've known him for a long time. Okay. You're forced to like him. Well, I can tell you who they go to. And the person who they go to actually um, used to call Jim dad. (gasps) His son? It's his oldest son. His oldest son is currently in prison in Florida. What? And they did not get along. So investigators fly down to Florida to try out their luck and they sit down with Jim Jr. And they tell him, hey, your mom didn't die in an accident. We think that she was murdered and we think that your dad was the person who did it and staged the accident. And they ask him, like, well, what would your dad have done with a body? Like if he were to have killed someone and needed to get away with it. And here's where there's a little bit of a discrepancy. I found two different things. Everything I found says that it was basically Jim's backyard. But this thing that I was watching actually says that the kid asked, well, have you looked at his sister yet? Mm. Now, I don't know if it was Jim lived there at one point and then his sister moved in and that's where the confusion is. But essentially, it's either his backyard or his sister's backyard. There was a big yard that had something called a cistern in the ground. Have you ever heard of that? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you really? No. Oh, I hadn't. I had to look it up. Apparently, a cistern is basically something where 
people have these like 10 to 12 foot holes cut out of the ground that are paved with either bricks or something all the way down into the ground, like 20 feet down. And then it's like a tank that holds fresh water. So when rain comes off your ceiling, it goes into your drain pipes and it goes in underground to this cistern. Yeah. It's basically a way to keep extra water. I'm pretty sure my boss, my principal, was getting a pool put into her backyard beginning of the summer. Uh Uh-huh. And they dug in and found one of those because she lives in an area that was used um, for orchards. Yeah. And they had to like, and it was bricked. Like she showed me a picture. It was like the last week of school. She's like, this is what I'm going through. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God. So yeah, we have those here too. But he mentions in this backyard, there's Mm -hmm. a cistern. And he says that in December of 1984, right after... Walter Scott went missing, mm-hmm. which Walter Scott was this man's stage name. His actual last name, I think, was Nothis. But for the music and stuff, he's known as Walter Scott. But right after he went missing, Jim Williams decided to build a big flower box over the top of the water cistern. Now, not that it's crazy for someone to say, well, this is kind of ugly. Let me make it prettier. But it just seems weird that somebody would do that in the middle of winter in Missouri. <laughs> like, why are you building a flower box at Christmas? Sir, your roses are going to die. Oh, we just needed some place for our poinsettias. We had a party happening. It was a big deal. <laughs> no, it's just so dumb. <laughs> poinsettias. <laughs> so... Dr. Case, at this point, is doing her thing. She's kicking ass at medical examining. She gets a call one night, and they say, hey, meet us at this address. The police had been there working and working all day long to try and dig out the lid of the whole thing and get it open. When she gets there, they open it up, and they can all see clearly that there's definitely human remains floating in the cistern. That's disgusting. The remains are a body wearing a navy blue and white tracksuit which was the exact outfit that Walter had reported to be in the night he disappeared. Oh, my God. Detectives go down into the cistern and they find hit, which, by the way, how many times can I say cistern? Like five. Since learning the definition of it. But they basically go down there and they end up finding his identification as well to confirm it is Walter's body. They didn't even take out his wallet. I know. They actually said they found it in a plastic bag. And I was like, no, no way. I don't believe it. That is just too dumb. So there's that. Hey, Walter, could you put your stuff in this plastic bag really quick? Yeah. Could you please seal and preserve this for all time? Thanks. Dumb. But now they need to get his body out of the water. And that is a very, very delicate procedure. Because essentially, when bodies are exposed to these conditions... And actually, Dr. Case described it as that thing called adipocere, which I did talk about in our episode in regards to Vicki Lynn Hoskinson. It's like when a body is exposed to water, extreme heat, and bacteria, this basically the skin goes away and it forms this substance that kind of holds everything in place. And I'm assuming since she used it, it also could mean extreme cold could mm-hmm. be summed out for heat. But... Basically, he's in water, Melissa. Yeah, but I'm saying an extreme cold could take the place of that. Because before she said heat, water, bacteria. But isn't Walter in water? Yeah, but there's no heat. This is Oh, you have to have all three things. Yes. I thought you were just saying one. I was like, Melissa, are you fucking stupid? He's in water. No, in order to have adipocere created, you have to have 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 all three three of them at once, right after each other. So I was like, yeah. I get what you're saying, but I'm thinking the extreme means it can be hot or cold. So Walter's been in this water with bacteria in the extreme colds. So that's what I think made the adipocere. <laughs> I get it. The trifecta. Okay, got it. So basically the rest of the tissues and the bones are held together super loosely. It's not a solid remain. And when they're bringing up Walter's body, his skull actually came off of his skeleton with some of the neck vertebrae. And Dr. Case doesn't even think twice. She just scoops the skull up out of the water with her bare hands. No. To preserve the evidence. No. Now, later on, she would go on to say, like, it would have just been in the water. Like, we could have absolutely just picked it up. But her brain didn't really process it of, like, oh, it's not going anywhere. But I just thought that was so badass of her. Oh, my God. Yeah. They can see that his hands and feet had been bound with a rope. And once they start the autopsy, they find immediately that he had been shot in the chest with a shotgun. 
now that they can tie Jim Williams to both Sharon and Walter's deaths, a grand jury indicts Jim Williams for two murders. Detectives also believe that Joanne was in on both of the murders because she had to have helped. Somebody had to drive Jim Williams away from Sharon's accident scene, as well as help move Walter's car to the airport. Mm -hmm. There's just too many things that he don't... (laughs) He he don't do. That he don't do by himself. (laughs) There's just too many things that he probably couldn't have done by himself. Prosecutors did try to charge Joanne as well with the same two murder charges, but they couldn't actually present enough evidence to prove that. So she was actually just charged with hindering the prosecution. Hmm. And I watched Dr. Case talk about going to trial and it was really cute because she said she felt like she was the voice of justice for these two victims. So she went out and bought a special white suit to wear to the trial. (gasps) Like a white hat. Exactly. She knew. So cute, right? She knew before Olivia Pope was even real. Shonda, where are you? Seriously. Write about Dr. Case. Please and thank you. Now, Dr. Case must have done a wonderful job on the stand because in November of 1992, Jim Williams was found guilty for both Sharon and Walter's murders and sentenced to life in prison, no chance of parole, at a maximum security facility. That's what you get, you big jerk. Yeah. Jim's new wife, Joanne, was also sentenced to five years in prison, but she ended up not even spending one full year in prison before she was paroled. Mm. Blah. In 2011, Jim Williams died of natural causes after being in hospice care for heart issues in prison at the age of 72. And when Walter's mom was asked how she felt upon hearing the news that her son's murderer had died in prison, her quote was... I was wishing he'd live longer so he would have to suffer a little longer, but you don't always get what you want. And I'd like to end this story with some information about Dr. Mary Case, because I think she's just the coolest. Mm -hmm. And an article for St. Louis Magazine was written by a woman named Jeanette Cooperman, and she describes Dr. Case and calls her conscientious as a schoolgirl. She finishes everything early because she can't stand deadline pressure. She wears her seatbelt, avoids germs, and changes the batteries in her smoke alarms with religious precision. She's cut into 11,000 cadavers, and it's left her cautious. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And like I mentioned, Dr. Case isn't just an expert in forensic pathology. She also specializes in neuropathology. And together with those combined skills, she's actually changed the way of medicine, in particular, as to how to prove when children have been murdered by shaken baby syndrome and how to spot the signs of that. That's crazy. Yeah. So I read this thing where she basically said, like, my mission is to prove when people hurt children, Mm -hmm. and then to convince other people that they did it. So she's basically like pioneered some of this work that's helping people determine when a child actually does die of SIDS or something terrible, or when they are murdered by being shaken to death. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was incredible. That is. So that's my story. Would you like to see some photos? Yeah. It's also incredible that she changes her batteries like that. I know. Just recently, I went to put... Oh, smoke alarm back up, and I pulled my neck. Oh, my God. It hurts so bad. Dude, I forgot about that till right now. I was going like this, shoulder to ear, so that it wouldn't be as loud when I clicked it, and I just did something bad. I think I texted you, like, how was your night? And you said, I pulled my neck, changing the smoke alarm. I kept going in a fire alarm, because I was, like, in teacher mode. It hurt for a while. There are things that start to happen, dude, at 30. It's risky out here. My mom says, step down off that stepladder. Go lay on the couch and get an ice pack. (laughs) I will finish dinner. All right, let me see those pictures. Okay, so this was Sharon Williams. Beautiful hair. So chic, right? I loved her. This was Walter Scott, (sighs) pop star. I can see it. Doesn't he also look like he should have been hosting a game show? Yeah, the red background. It's sultry. It is. This was Jim Williams. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, God. He looks like a scary bear. Don't. (laughs) Don't. I hate when you zoom zoom. in. Like, I can already see it, and I don't like it. Well, I'm going to (laughs) zoom. No, don't do it. I don't want to be close up to that mustache, Melissa. Okay, I need to show you something. No. It's a picture of Joanne. Oh, God. Can you picture in the movie Parent Trap, the one with Lindsay Lohan, when they go There's into There's no the- other type. <laughs> you know when Hallie 
and her two friends break into Annie's cabin and they play the pranks on all the girls. You know the one where they take the shaving cream and they mm-hmm. spray it all around her head and it ends up looking like a helmet? Mm-hmm. Like George Washington? <laughs> this is Joanne. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the- <laughs> That looks exactly like it. Look at her hair. But in my brain, she should be with the guy, she, the murderer guy. They should have been together before. And the singer... And the lady, Sharon, Sharon, I wanted to say Joanne. I knew that wasn't right. Joanne and Walt should have been together the whole time. I know. That's what I wish too. And this is Dr. Mary Case. Oh, Emerald. Like, that's a boss. Yeah. Look at those chandelier earrings she has on. Yeah. Are they shelves? I don't think so. But that's a matching set. Yeah. That's a statement piece. Yeah. Just changing the game. That was good. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you have any questions? No. Okay, good, because I don't know any other answers. <laughs> Excuse me, what's neuropathology? Oh, let me get back to you. <laughs> Tell me later. All As, right. We'll get back to you two in just a second. For my story. For oh, my story. If that didn't scare you off, please hold. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hope you weren't scared. <laughs> it's me. I'm back. Sarah. It's your turn. It's my turn. All right. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. Today, I'm going to tell you about a girl named Angela Hammond. Have you ever heard of her? I don't think so. I don't know why we ask each other that. Because <laughs> if you had, I wouldn't want you to say it. Yeah, only once did I know your story. And once you found out, I knew you were upset with yeah. me. Yeah, because Somehow. you knew it. It's like you're not supposed to know who I'm doing. Yeah. You know? Got it. So, Angela, lovingly known as Angie. Okay. Was born in Kansas City, Missouri. Missouri? Missouri. (laughs) On February 9th, 1971. Angie's parents, Chris and Marsha, decided to move to Clinton, Missouri, which was just about like 80 miles south, I believe it was, to be closer to Marsha's parents, so Angie's grandparents. Now we're going to jump about like 20 years in the future from that, which makes Angie an outgoing 20-year-old in our current story. Okay. She was recently engaged to her high school sweetheart, Rob. Now, Rob was about a year or so younger. So I saw two things. Most of my research showed that she was 20 and he was 18. But other research showed that she was 19 and he was 18. I decided to say one year difference. In January, Rob and Angie learned that they were pregnant. So Rob proposed, and Angie at this time worked at a bank, and she was attending classes at Central Missouri State University, and Rob's goal was after graduating to join the military, and until then he was just working odd jobs around town. Like I said, they had become engaged, so they decided to actually rent a house together, and although their money was very tight, they were working very hard to get ready to start their family. It did not seem to me that either of the families were upset about the situation. They were happy that the two were being mature. Cool. So on April 4th, 1991, Angie and Rob went to a barbecue at Angie's mom's house. Angie's parents had later gotten divorced, which is why it's the mom's house. And after the party, Angie had dropped Rob off at his parents' house because he was actually watching his younger brother. And that was around 10 p.m. Now, when Angie dropped Rob off, she had promised that she would call him later. Their plan was for Rob to then meet her out later after his parents had gotten home. Angie went and picked up her friend. They drove around town for a while, and at about 11.15, she dropped her friend off. Angie was super tired, so she decided that at 11.45, she would pull into this food barn store, which was in, like, the center of their town, and used the payphone to call Rob and let him know that instead of meeting up with him later, she was just going to head back to their house. She wanted to take a bubble bath, just relax, and go to bed. Now, the center of the town, they kept calling it that, the center of the town. Mm. Center of town. Okay. That's what they did. Town center? No. (laughs) The center of the town was only about seven blocks from Rob's parents' home, so everything was very close. It was a small farming community. And while they were on the phone, Angie started to mention that she had noticed that this, like, green truck had circled around the block a few times. 
But at the same time, she wasn't too worried, but she obviously was weirded out by it enough to tell Rob. Yeah. Rob said that it was an older green Ford pickup truck. That's what Angie had told him. Angie continued to talk to Rob and then mentioned to him that the truck had now pulled into the parking lot and a filthy bearded white man had tried to use the payphone next to her. It seems to me that he kind of like got out to the payphone, kind of tried to use it, then just like put it back up on the phone jack. I don't know if that's what it's called. Yeah. And went back to his truck and started kind of looking around in the truck using a flashlight. Like maybe he was looking for change or something? Yeah, it was just like very odd. And throughout this whole entire scenario, Angie is like giving Rob a play-by-play of all these different things that are happening. She runs out of quarters. I don't know. I didn't even think about that. That would scare me. Yeah. So the man, again, was still looking with the flashlight And Rob asked Angie if she thought maybe the phone that the man had tried to use didn't work. So Angie ended up like saying something aloud to the man like, oh, do you need to use the phone? Did it not work? And the man replied, no, he didn't need the phone she was on. Like, I guess she was thinking, okay, well, I'll just give up my phone. Yeah. And that he would try the other one in just a minute. I don't like it. Again, they lived in this little town, so part of them, they didn't know crime. They didn't know anything, so, like, as much as they were suspicious, they were also just like, this is just weird. Also, I'm sorry to ask, but what year would this be in now? 1991. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. She was born in 71. Got this it. is 1991. Okay, perfect. Thank you. While they're talking, Rob heard Angie scream. Mm-hmm. And he heard a man's voice say, I didn't need to use the payphone anyway. Rob now, like, he didn't exactly know what had happened, but he could only believe that something was happening with Angela. So his immediate reaction was to literally drop the phone that he was on. He ran out of his house. He got into his car because, remember, he's only seven blocks away and drive to the payphone where Angie had been. On his way to the payphone, a truck sped past him and out of the window he heard... Robbie, Robbie. And he knew that he had just passed that truck with Angie in it. Is this a real story? Yes. Why would I be lying? That's a nightmare. I'm unhappy. What else happens? So Rob quickly turns his car around and he continues to chase that truck throughout their downtown area. But sadly, when he had made that really quick turn and put his car in reverse, he had messed up his transmission. So he was only able to follow the truck for about two miles before his transmission went out and his car died. He said he could feel his car dying as he made a right turn to follow the car or the truck. And then all he could say was he just saw it go off in the distance. Now, Rob did jump out of his car trying to run after the truck, but very quickly realized there's no way he was going to be successful in that. So instead of continuing to run after the truck, he turned around to try to get help. Um, he was able to flag down a passing car that drove him directly to the police station. Ugh. Police were first very unsure of his story. It was past midnight at this point. They just, you know, I mean, imagine somebody coming up and telling you just asked me if I was telling you a true story. Right. You know, so they ended up taking a statement They created a composite sketch based off of what Angie had told Rob. And Rob described the truck as an older 1960 to 70s green Ford truck with rust on it. And then the back window had this decal of a fish jumping out of water. Okay. It basically took up the whole back of the truck. I can picture what you're You know saying. what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, you just like, weren't sure. Your face looked like you were trying to think. I'm just absorbing. I'm yeah. very upset. He also told them that while he was chasing the truck, he was only able to see two letters on the license plate, which were X and Y. And the rest of the license plate had actually been like pretty rusty to the point where he couldn't read it. Ugh. Angie's kidnapping rocked the little town. She was very well-loved, well-known, You know, like I said, her and Rob's relationship, although they were young and Rob was still in high school, nobody seemed to have any type of qualms about it. Yeah. Police and locals searched over. They went as far as using helicopters and planes to try to see something. And they didn't find anything but her car in the parking lot with her purse in it. 
The only real detail that they had was what Rob had given them about the truck. They knew that that was basically their only hope was to figure out where this truck was. Witnesses had reported seeing a white man driving a similar truck near the phone booth throughout that night when Angie had disappeared. The man was said to be wearing coveralls, a dark colored baseball hat, glasses. He had a beard and a mustache. So they have like good stuff, but not enough. Now, Detective Parsons from the Clinton Police Department requested help from the Missouri Highway Patrol, hoping that they could use their database to search all registered vehicles in hopes of finding that truck. The search showed about 1,600 possibilities that matched the color of the truck, and police set out looking through those trucks, hoping to find one with that matching decal on the window, but they never found one. They also started to focus solely on Rob's testimony because there was no witnesses, and of course, Rob did become a suspect. But very quickly, within about a week, he was cleared. He had an alibi, he had passed numerous polygraphs, and he worked so closely with investigators that they were just like, there's nothing. That's good. Mm-hmm. They also had found Rob's car broken down where he said it did, so they could prove what happened. Mm-hmm. Angie's mom, Marsha, said she never suspected Rob whatsoever. She said she had known him his whole life and would never have doubted him for a minute. Police also started looking into Angie's ex-boyfriend, um, a guy named Bill, And because of this, rumors kind of started swirling that he was involved, that the baby could have been his and not Rob's. But both he and Rob were like, nope. Yeah. Like, we're done. I'm very upset that she's gone. I'm doing my part. He, too, worked well with investigators. He passed polygraphs. And there was zero evidence pointing to him to be involved whatsoever. Okay. Now, as police continue to investigate, they kind of start to connect Angie's abduction with two other unsolved cases that occurred within 100 miles of Clinton. The first case had occurred just three months earlier in Max Creek, Missouri. On January 19th, 1991, a 42-year-old woman named Trudy Darby was working at a convenience store and she was working alone. She had called her son to let him know that there was a weird, suspicious man kind of hanging outside her store. And her son decided that he didn't really want his mom to be alone. And that was weird. So he decided to drive to the store. And when he got there, his mom was gone. And just like how quickly Rob was to Angie, Trudy's son was only 10 minutes away from the convenience store. So he literally got off the phone, probably picked up his stuff. And within 10 minutes, this had happened. Just two days later, about 10 miles from the store, Trudy was found on a riverbank. She had been shot twice in the head. And a month after Trudy's death on February 28th, a 30-year-old woman from Nevada, Missouri, named Cheryl Ann Kenny, was also reported missing. This was only about 70 miles from where Trudy had been found on the riverbank. So all very close. Just like Trudy, Cheryl Ann was working at a convenience store and she had just vanished. Unlike Trudy, Cheryl Ann was not found. And then in less than a month, that's when Angie was abducted. Detective Parsons believes that the three cases are linked and authorities started to suspect that they had a serial killer in West Central Missouri. Although there are similarities between the murders and Angie's disappearance, there was no real evidence to link the cases together. It was more of just suspicion. Yeah. The murders of Trudy and Cheryl Ann have never been solved. Now, just like you were talking about the accident recreation, the police chose to recreate the scene. They welcomed all the help they could get from neighboring counties, but they could never figure out why Angie was taken. And since then, there has never been a sight of her since. Now, there has been several unconfirmed sightings of her, saying that they have seen Angie in different states, in Canada, but that's not really believed to be true. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a few theories to what they believe happened to Angie. During this time, there was two active serial killers in Missouri. One was named Kenneth McDuff, and the other was Tommy Sells. 
Their victims were both young women, but no evidence led them to believe that McDuff or Sells had anything to do with her disappearance. Yeah. And both McDuff and Sells have been executed, so pretty much there's no way to ever figure out if they did. Mm-hmm. Another theory is that she just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or that the man had seen her earlier in the day and noticed her and followed her. But the other theory was introduced to the world on the 30th anniversary of her disappearance. So just recently, like in the last few years. Hmm. The new details that were released to the public was by a man named Paul Abbott, who was the Clinton police chief currently. He has been working on Angie's case since 2006, and he and his investigators released that they have been working on a theory that Angie's disappearance was mistaken identity. So there was another girl around her age named Angie, and her father was actually having legal troubles with, like, drug stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was going to be a informant. Uh-huh. So they believe that the two Angies got mixed up. They believe that the abduction had been planned and it would have been way too difficult for just one person to have pulled this off. They had a piece of evidence, which was a letter that was written with cutout magazine letters that had been sent on April 4th, the day that Angie had been abducted. Investigators believe that because they had the same name, And apparently they looked so similar that, sadly, the wrong Angie had been taken. When asked if the girls looked alike, Captain Abbott said there were striking similarities, very much so. In the beginning of 2021, the precinct also received a voicemail from an anonymous caller that had details that involved that letter. Captain Abbott is very interested in speaking to this anonymous caller. He wants them to know that he can protect their identity. And his hope is with speaking with them and talking about this letter that had been kept secret. They knew about the letter. It was in the case files. Right. That it will make this like huge break in the case. And apparently it has. A lot more people are kind of remembering things and coming forward. But in the end, Captain Abbott was quoted saying... Quote, this has not been a cold case ever as far as I'm concerned, and it's not going to be. Well, and, that's what you want to hear. Yeah. And that's the end. Oh, my gosh. I know it was quick, but it's crazy town. Well, yeah, it's like actively now being worked again. Yeah. So apparently they just got this weird message, like I said, at the beginning of this year. But how weird 30 years later. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing is, and I have a picture of it and I'll show you, is When Captain Abbott went back in in 2006, he, after like two or three times of combing through the evidence and looking at it, they realized that the letter being sent in kind of went with it. I don't know if anybody had quite made that connection. Interesting. And sadly, up until then, they didn't have any evidence about who had taken her, what had taken her. The only evidence they had was literally Rob's testimony from what Angie had told him. Yeah. This was the letter that they received. It's like, I kind of laughed because it's like what you would expect. Yeah. Like, it's just like very funny. It reads, hello, no, and then it's crossed out. What does that mean when they take it out? Remember when they like X things out? Because oh, I don't want you to see it. Redacted. Thank you. Hello, no, redacted. We know who you are. No, redacted people like you deserve what you get we know where your foxy daughter is at and she will see us soon tell redacted she has our deepest sympathy in her further loss goodbye so they believe that whoever the people were that were mad at that man for being a drug informant sent this to him Uh about his daughter yikes yeah super creepy this is angie And then, this is very blown up, I don't know why, I will find a better picture, but this was the composite sketch. It looks like the blank autopsy face when they show you the sketches, but somebody added hair to it and it freaks me out. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a bummer. I know, it's spooky, isn't it? But, like, I hope that if this, you know, extra phone call or letter or something is, like, spurring more investigation, Mm -hmm. maybe they'll 
have a bigger update someday. Yeah, they're very much hoping that this person will call back so that they can talk to them and try to figure out what has happened. Yeah. I read that even now, all Angie's family wants to do is lay her to rest. I'm sure. Yeah, of course. And we can't forget that she was four months pregnant when she was taken. And not a lot of people say that. They kind of forget because of the story is just so much. But you have to remember... Rob lost his whole life at that point. Yeah. And their family and this town. Oh, and, and to be so young and to mm-hmm. already be doing something that it's usually more of an adult thing, like to be married, to go out on your own, to mm-hmm. like be starting a family. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I'm sad for him. Mm-hmm. Well, you did a good job. Thank you. Guys, if you want to see any of the photos that we've talked about, because there were some good ones today. You know where to go. Please feel free at Talk Marty to me. On the Instagram is where we put up those pictures. But you can also find us on the Twitter or Facebook. Mm-hmm. Come hang. Yeah. And speaking of, to tie back to what we talked about right in the beginning, is that we are thinking we want to do something kind of fun for you guys for our one-year anniversary hoopla, if you will. Hoopla. <laughs> and some of you guys sent us some of your favorite memories of the podcast from our first year so far, and they are hilarious. Some of them I forgot about as well, so it was really fun. But we were thinking we might film a little something that where we read those off, where we kind of talk a little bit more, maybe do something, share some other stories. Also, we were thinking if there's questions you guys have for us, Or questions about maybe like something we laugh at, but you have no idea why we're laughing and think we're dumb because we're laughing. We'd like to know those things so we could at least explain them to you Mm -hmm. or just answer any questions. Yeah. You can like DM us on our normal at Talk Marty to Me account, or there's also our individual ones that are the at Talk Marty with Sarah and at Talk Marty with Melissa. This week on our main account, we put up the quiz on which of these things happened on our Mexican vacation. And the options were someone got caught with their swimsuit off in the pool. We crashed a honeymoon. We got stranded on a Mexican highway or all of the above. And the answer is all of the above. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that happened to us within about a five or six day period. But I so. will tell you, being <laughs> stranded on that highway was one of my best memories. It really was. And that's something we can talk about on our little get to know us one year anniversary yeah, post. Our bonus episode or oh, something. Bonus episode. Yeah. So if you guys do want to hear more about that or like Sarah said, if we mention things that you're like, I don't think I know the whole story on that. Mm-hmm. Send us a question. We'll put something together for you guys. But We appreciate you all very much, and thanks for talking Murdy with us. Don't forget to do five stars and leave a written review if you haven't already. Yeah, and go vote every day for the next week on what style of episode you want to hear for a one-year celebration. Yep. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye.